Welcome to episode 24 of Talking Tara. We've been we've been a bit slack. We've been away for a few weeks. And in the meantime, Torino played three games. We've got five players off to a World Cup. Um, and we'll talk about both in this podcast. The three games, Rob, I thought it was a bit the good, the bad, bad and the ugly. Bad was Bologna. Good was the result against Samp and the performance against Roma. Ugly was... Samp's performance against us and how it all kind of ended predictably against Roma. Um, but that leaves us, I think, uh, I've done way too much research on the World Cup and not enough on the Serie A table, but I believe we're ninth, are we, going into the international break uh, a couple of points ahead of last season and not in a bad position to have a push at the Europa League places or Conference League places, or Coppa Italia when we get back. But anyway, that's enough waffle from me. What were your... How are you How are you feeling after these, these three games? Positive, negative? I think I'd have felt a lot more positive had we held on to the, the three points in Rome. But I'm sure we'll get on to, to that game shortly. You are correct, by the way. We are ninth, uh, six points away from Atalanta. Uh, and you would think they're probably... If you think, obviously, Napoli... Uh, Mars ahead at the top of the league. Milan, Juve having a bit of a resurgence. Lazio, Winter. You'd think if there's any chance of sort of a Europa League or Europa Conference League uh, place, it's going to be sixth or seventh that you'd be fighting for. So that would put sort of Fiorentina, Toro, uh, Udinese, Roma, and Atalanta. So I think six points away from Atalanta would probably take that, given the way that they sort of started and and we've started. Like I say, we've in a better position than we were last season and, and we had a really good start to 2022. So if we can replicate that next at the start next year, then then maybe we'll, we will have a little chance at, at qualifying for Europe. But in terms of the games, um, Bologna frustratingly predictable, I would say, in the fact that it, we were going into that game looking to win three games in a row. I'd done all the stats beforehand at how unlikely that is and turned out to be, be true. Taking the lead makes it probably a little bit even more disappointing that we couldn't hold on and the goals were very avoidable. Didn't think Bologna were great, to be honest, and, and basically had two opportunities. And, and in fairness to Thiago Motta, who, just a quick side, <laughs> side note, even Juric does talk about Diego Motta and Diego Melito a little bit too much, like almost uh, like, like it's it's like it. I can't even put the. Word. It's almost like he he never played for any like they were just the two best players he ever played for, and just goes on about them all the time. Like even strikers, he would just put compared to Melito. It's like I forbid he played against played with that like proper proper world class players. He'd, he'd never go uh, never stop going off about them. But no, I thought just to go back to the Bologna game, I thought Motta changed the game well with his substitutions and maybe that illustrates the lack of depth that Toro have in the fact that they weren't able to, their their substitutes just made absolutely no impact. I'm sure you'll talk about our court hero, uh, Jan Caramo, in a second. Um, Never to be seen again after Bologna. (laughs) It it reminded me of, um, I remember Umar Sadiq, who has now gone on to have a pretty good career. He had a very similar game, uh, I think away against Crotone and Mihailovic. And basically just spent the whole game offside. And yeah, I think that's probably the last time we'll see him as a false nine and probably for the better. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- there, I think there are a few parallels between Bologna and Roma. I think you're right in that the substitutions turned the game both or had an influence in the game both occasions. I mean, look at who Bologna brought on. It was you're not talking about world class players. It was just a, a you know a steady stream of Serie A journeymen. Um, but they added enough enough quality. I mean, Motta's selection was poor, very negative. Um, and I think if he'd played maybe also leaning Soriano from the start, then it might have been a slightly different game anyway. So I'm not giving Motta much credit for that. I didn't like the way he started celebrating about a minute before the end and, and Karamar still had a, a pot shot or goal after that. And I would have loved it had that gone in. And the other thing about it, again, the last five minutes of injury time, Bologna kept it. In the right oh, in the corner flag. Don't get, don't get me started on uh, Mergen Voivoda. It, it was as if he'd never played a game of football before. It's like he didn't understand what he needed to do and what the rules were, because he just continued to, um, just continued to sort of foul in the corner and just give them that that advantage when when there was no need to really. The, in nine times out of ten, the, the referee linesman will just blow up in that situation. Yeah, I mean Voivoda does not add a. Didn't have a good couple of 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 games, that's for sure. But yeah, but I did look at the game management uh, at Bologna compared to Roma. When whenever Torino are chasing in injury time, we never seem to get the ball. We never seem to be able to create much. The game, the opposition seem to get a stranglehold of it. And then you know we go to Rome, and we've seen it a million times before. I mean, how did you know? We'll talk a little bit more about the Roma game, but. The fact that a team can miss a penalty two or three minutes into injury time and still find time to hit the crossbar and then score. It was just, yeah. And I think you're right. I just don't think, I don't think the changes, there's kind of, it's it's a fairly deep squad in some senses, but I don't think. I think there's there's only a few players who I think Juric trusts. There's quite a lot of young players who make up that squad, like uh, Baye, we've never seen, uh, Ilkan, never to be seen again apart from he, he got a good 20 seconds against Samp. Um, Bissek, yeah. Um, Bissek came on against Bologna but just sort of and I think I think this could possibly be the issue and maybe where we look in and reinforcing players who Juric trusts to actually bring on after sort of 55-60 minutes to try and change a game if somebody's not having a good game whereas I think sometimes that a lot of the squad players and the youngsters we've got are, they're sort of almost just thrown on in five ten minutes, where they're not really going to have any chance of of affecting the game, and then when they don't, you're actually almost sort of using it to reinforce. Oh well, I knew the sec wasn't ready, um, and maybe that's where we're looking in January because I think the I think on our our starting eleven, maybe again we'll probably get onto this um, at the end, but our starting eleven will never use fit. I think maybe just a starting striker. I think then we'd be quite happy with that as a as a side to to go on and challenge for uh European places for the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean I think if we just deal with the games quickly chronologically at Bologna there's not too much more to say it was a flat performance. We got a f- not a lucky penalty but it was a long punt up upfield. Um but we barely deserved to take the lead and I just I think there was 10 minutes at the start of the second half where we came out quite well. And then we probably should have seen seen the game off then. Um, Jan Karamar, his, his performance was so bad. Yeah, just to go on about that, I do think I do, obviously Pellegri getting injured in the opening seconds totally changed the that game. Sure. Um, and I think that's probably 
it just it just reiterates the sort of foolish nature of of Toro at the start of the season in in thinking that two central strikers was going to be enough with Pellegri, who I think they stated in the commentary had never started three games in a row in his career, or I think or was it four. And this was the fourth, and, yeah. and he lasted, and he lasted. I mean, he literally got injured within six seconds. Like it's, it would almost be funny if it if it didn't happen to to Torino, and it's sort of a, a young lad who you can sort of tell by the frustration on his face. It's almost like his body's falling apart, and then the fact that he's what twenty one, twenty two. I mean, it's not, it's not promising, and that's that's my concern. Um, with Pellegrini, I think he does have potential. I think Juric is the right coach for him, Torino are the right club for him. But if again, not to an early an early um, count for Bellotti bingo. But if people are already talking about Bellotti and his body sort of falling apart at twenty eight, twenty nine, then I, I do fear for Pellegrini in, in in terms of his future career. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for him, it doesn't seem like a bad injury. Um. And it might be, it was a fairly, yeah, it might just be fairly, one of those fairly innocuous things. But yeah, no, I think you're spot on. Um, and obviously then Jan Caramo comes on and I obviously wasn't prepared to come on after four or five minutes, whenever, whatever it was, but he just got, okay, not playing in his natural position, but I don't think he did a single thing right all game. Continually offside, continually losing the ball. Um didn't play with his with his back to goal, didn't link up play. Um so it's a pretty poor audition from him. It might be one of the things we, we learnt from the Bologna game. Maybe he is someone who coming off the bench can um can have an impact. But yeah, clearly then Juric went into the Samp game going back to the strikerless formation. Um we didn't work very well in the derby, but against a very, very I had a little bit of a nasty feeling about this game in that, um, yeah, I think I predicted a nil-nil, but I think if, I think as long as Torino scored, they were going to be okay. And it was just my slight concern was, well, yeah, Sam didn't, weren't, didn't play in a kind of really negative way. They just played in a, um, they just played like they'd never played football before. So, um, and again, yeah, I mean, my, one of my takeaways from that game, Radonjic again looking really good against Serie B opposition, which at the moment, Sampard, he hasn't, he's done very little against um, anyone of any quality. But I think the goal was, uh, if you if you break if you look at the goal, it was a pretty fantastic solo effort as well. Um, and, it, and he was he was really the the energy and the catalyst of, of the sort of first 30 minutes, but even before the goal, going on sort of the left wing, having a couple of sort of runs uh, past the fullback, and he, he he seemed to be up for the game. And I think what a lot of things that we'd read about Radonjic before he came to Torino is that the, the talent's there. It's just, can he put it all together, the character and the attitude? And I think sometimes you, you're just going to have to, I think we are just going to have to sort of, be aware of that that he's not consistency is always going to be his issue some days he'll look like a player who is going to the World Cup which he is and some days he'll look like he wouldn't get into a Serie G team and that's that's literally I think probably the issue that he's had throughout his career uh, I think when he's on his on his day I think he's probably our most dynamic attacker Moranchik is very technically good but not particularly um, not particularly quick and good with the ball but you wouldn't really see him sort of going on a 60-yard uh, run. 
Uh, Vlasic, again, I think he's probably his main attribute is almost what he does for the team. He's got quality, but also he's a very hard worker, whereas Radonjic is a little bit that X factor. Um, and I thought he he probably demonstrated that the best in the, in the Stamp game so far in his in his Torino career. Well, I think I think the juicy details in the Roma game, isn't it? So you I can, uh, I, I can we get him? Uh, well, we'll go. Well, Tom, to... Apart from Thomas Rincon, Stamp was so bad that Thomas Rincon got applauded off, which I thought was yeah. He probably he probably got applauded when the names were called out. That yeah. <laughs> I mean the fact I mean Rincon was finished two years ago. The fact he's even starting in Serie A is, is pretty pretty shocking to be honest and and I do I think Sam probably were in our dream table for Serie A and I feel like they probably won't be in the actual Serie A table next season which is a shame because I do think especially when Genoa are in the league I think that derby does add a little bit to it but I think that derby yeah. could be in Serie A it does look like the bottom three are quite cut off I mean I People, the other thing is it's slightly misguided that we're not actually at the halfway point of the season yet. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of kind of conclusions being drawn as if it was, but yeah, I, I kind of wish we'd played Verona for the break because I think the first first game back against Verona, who've who've Lost barely 10 in got a row. point, yeah, we know how this is going to end. Yeah, but it just yeah, the the landscape is 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 going to be quite a bit different come early January. But anyway, um. On to, on to Roma. Just just one thing I'm going to say about B, going on to BT Sport commentary for for the Roma game a little bit. Like Dave Farrow, the commentator, I really get impressed. He doesn't like Mourinho, and <laughs> and doesn't rate doesn't rate Bellotti very much. Was two two things. Uh, but one thing I got to play with BT Sport commentators in general. It's possible for anyone to do a game with Vanny Milinkovic Savage without mentioning he's the brother of Sergei Milinkovic Savage. And as if and it's as bit, if it's like. Big, it, it is the bingo of bingos, so. and as if somebody watching the game didn't maybe just assume that anyway, it's, because uh... like Milinkovic and Savic are common Serbian surnames, but I don't think the double barreled is that common. So I think if you were coming to that game, you had absolutely no knowledge, but you knew of Sergey, and I suppose if you if you know who Sergey Milinkovic Savic is, you probably know that his brother already starts as Torino's number one goalkeeper. But um, I wonder how I wonder how many Lazio games they say Sergio Milinkovic Savic's Vanya. I'm like, gonna guess zero. Point, in, unless they're what, playing unless they're playing each other. At what point Vanya? Is Vanya gonna have the breakout World uh, well, Cup that he's gonna if, become many, the big brother? If, if Vanya starts for Serbia in the World Cup, which I believe he is um favoured to, how many times do you think they'll mention it? They play Brazil in the first game. Do you think? Do you think it will get mentioned within uh, the first fifteen minutes? That they're I, brothers? Yeah, but I think it'll be more natural when the two are in the same team. But, and or, uh, and or so more casual fans who might not watch Italian football, they might not be. No, aware. So but I, I just noticed it's it's. You can guarantee when Torino are playing, and there'll be a one reference to Vanya. And, and I wonder I'll, what point in Vanya's career he will stop. He will lose that. Um, I'm sure it happened with like Simone and Pippo and Zaghi. I'm sure it happened with Phil and Gary Neville. Possibly, but anyway, um, it, I mean, it, um, happened, it happened when I went to school. I was always known as my, I was always known as my, the bro- the brother of John, who was who'd or, who'd been at the school previously. So it's probably just something you have to, as the younger brother, you have to. Although I think is it fun you're older. No, no, he's, he's younger. He's yeah, younger. But, yeah. yeah, he just looks older. Um, so before but, I go on my ode to Linetti, my my criticism of the BT commentator, I don't mind Dave Farrow. I think he, especially in the sort of early days of Serie A on sort of. UK football after the sort of Channel 4 days. I think he was one of the commentators from the sort of previous BT era and the Channel 5 era, I think. Um, 
I I didn't think it was penalty. I I thought the commentary was was pretty good actually, and I but I think it missed the co-commentator. Yeah, uh, the, the game the, the game had a feel about it like it was. Um, yes, it's, some of the games you don't yeah you don't you don't feel it needs a co-commentator as much, but I think there was so much going on that on um, on Sunday's game. I got, I, I, I got to confess. I got... Yeah, I thought with the penalty and the the goal to sort of jumping forward in time a little bit. Um, I, th- I, th- I didn't think the commentator made enough about the fact that one, I didn't think it was a penalty and I think there was a bit of a question mark there. It was sort of almost like, yeah, it's a Stonewall penalty. I think Gigi withdraws his leg and uh, I can't remember who it was. He goes over, goes over very quick, very sort of dramatically. I thought there was a question mark there where in the first half with the handball for, for Richie, that was very quickly sort of tied up as like, no, that's not a penalty. And also with the, with the goal, I still think the player sort of, in breathing distance away from Milinkovic Savic's um, interfering with play, but maybe maybe that's with my Torino spectacles on. Yeah, I got to. I watched the game on. I turned my phone off and I watched the game on record a few hours later. And the second half probably took me about. I kid you not, two and a half hours to watch between other interruptions. Um, so I even had my dinner, and the game was paused at eighty-two minutes, <laughs> and um, I got to eighty-nine minutes and. I don't know. Is this? I thought Torino played really well. I wouldn't say looking comfortable, but I, I just I can't watch this last. I know there's going to be like a huge chunk of injury time, so I kind of put it on a slow fast forward the last the injury time. But the TV did this thing where it jumped. It kind of jumped forward a bit. Suddenly, Bellotti was on the penalty spot. I'm like, oh, what's happening here? So I watched that live. Um, he did what he did with the penalty, and I thought. Oh, it's going to be like 90 seconds. Oh, there'll be more time added because of the time it took to take the penalty, etc. Um, and then fast forwarded it again. And then suddenly, yeah, you see, you see kind of, um, uh, kind of, yeah, I think Matic celebrating. Um, and then I had to kind of, yeah, slowly watch it back. But yeah, I found them. Um... So, so you, you've got a lot more self control than I have because I just, I just can't, I can't do this. If I'm not watching a game, I, I sort of, I can't really focus on anything else without sort of getting updates of it because I, I, in a way, I'd almost rather not watch it and then just okay, oh, okay, that's good. And I think watching it on on sort of playback, I just I just can't do it. I'm I'm, I'm impatient, Peter. I'm like a child. No, I think it's quite. I quite like watching it sometimes. It forces it forces you to. I used to. to I used to, to watch. I used to watch match yourself off from the world a bit. Yeah, and, and I used uh... to. Watch, I, I used to enjoy watching match today without knowing the scores. So it's a similar similar concept, I suppose. Yeah. Well, match of the day highlights are so telegraphed now that you, uh, even if you, even if you there, didn't know the score, there's a between... corner here. I wonder if he might <laughs> score from it. Well, yeah, it's been a yellow card. I wonder if he's getting sent off later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's a substitution coming on. I wonder if he's going to score and have an impact. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, Roma. Yeah, I mean, just a few points on the game. I thought we played really well. I thought we. I thought the first half an hour was carbon copy of last year in Rome where we went, we dominated possession, didn't create a massive amount, looked good. Then Roma, as they did last year, creeped back into the game. And last year they got the goal before half time. This year they were awarded a penalty, which then was overturned about a similar time. Um, but the difference was this year in the second half, we kind of continued in the same vein as the first. Um, I almost texted you on Saturday as I thought Linetti would score despite predicting that Torino would lose 1-0 I had a vision of Linetti scoring maybe it's because he hadn't been selected for the Poland team um, but yeah I fancied him for a goal 
And again, for about 70 minutes, uh, we were good in the game. There's a bit of a lack of, we lose our cutting edge sometimes when we go a goal ahead. I don't think we carried enough of a goal threat. And yeah, I, I felt we probably could have made some changes to bring on a bit of pace a bit sooner. Yeah. Um, I think the game was sort of crying out for Redonjic. And I do think, despite what Juric was saying, I, I do have a feeling he was trying to protect the players going to the World Cup as much as possible. Well, except Vlasic, who's his countryman. So he, I thought he, he might burn out the Serbs, the Serbian <laughs> players a bit, but not the Croatian players. But yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, well, he's just too busy trying to compare him to Diego Melito. But um, I, I felt that the game, like that was the perfect opportunity to sort of try and uh, sort of take advantage of the counter-attack. And when you've got Sek and Karamo on the bench and Radonjic who are all, all really quick, then maybe those changes could have been made a bit sooner. And then I think, was it Vlasic or um, Maranchuk who came off for a, for a doppo? And that sort of signalled the, okay, we're holding on for for the win here. Um, yeah, the, yeah, which is fine in itself with just the game management in the last 10 minutes, as usual, was hopeless. Um, Dybala, I've got to say, I haven't seen, he completely turned the game when he came on. Um it was I think, slightly, I, yeah, slightly they, unfortunate he he came back in time. So I don't think there's any way Roma would have come back into that game without Dybala no. coming on. And and the different, I think you, people can have their opinions about Mourinho. And personally, I quite I quite like him. Um, but would I want him in charge of my club if I was sort of a, a side going for the sort of title or top four? Probably not. I just think his style of football is pretty outdated now. And it's, you, say, you, you say you like him, but I think he's done a pretty bad job at Roma. Oh no, I I think the, I think it's been the conference of, the conference league yeah, thing. Yeah, is, it's def- yeah. it's definitely been overshadowed by the conference league. But no, I would agree. I, I like I just like it I, I like him as a as a guy. I think I think deep down he probably is I mean if you look at the top elite managers, I don't particularly like Klopp. I don't particularly like Guardiola because I think they're pretending to be something that they're not and you can see their true side when they, they lose or, or they don't get the rubber to green. Mourinho's never really apologised for who he is and has always been quite honest in who he is. Um, the fact that I think, and I agree, I don't think he's done that good of a job at Roma because I don't think a side of Roma's sort of capabilities and the players that they've got should be playing on a counter-attack at home to Torino and they've done that twice now in, in two successive seasons where they basically just waited for us to come onto them and we're not, especially away from home, I mean, we're almost we're a bit of a counter attack inside ourselves. It's it just it doesn't usually lend itself to to good football, and you could sort of tell that the the Roman crowd were not too fond of some of the decisions that were being made, and and that they've been quite positive to, towards Mourinho, I think. And I I don't think he will be there for very long. Would be my suggestion. Well, no, he's he's already um. He's already thrown out Rick Carlstrup before the game, but yeah, I mean, Dybala, Dybala was really good when he came on, and um, and, and, yeah, and, no, and he 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 is the sort of the difference maker. That was the, the point I was just trying to make. Sorry, just in the fact that he is a player who sort of can create things out and get things moving, whereas otherwise it's just sort of and Pellegrini, I think, must have been injured, so, or he's, he's just coming back from injury. Yeah, no, yeah he was on the so, bench, I think, but um, but. Yeah, I didn't think Abraham played particularly well. Probably proved Southgate right in not picking him for for England's World Cup squad. And yeah, they were just very, just 
one paced and I didn't until Dybala came on, like you said, I didn't, I didn't feel that threatened and, and he, he did change the game. He just made a little bit of magic and even it, even he sort of inadvertently leading to the to the equaliser. Yeah, I think even on the equaliser though, Linetti should have got a bit closer to him or we should have had a player on the pitch who could have got closer to him. Yeah, and I think and I think that's that's probably where maybe you take Linetti off for a doppo and you've got an actual holding midfielder there rather than trying to and then maybe bring a more attacking option up front for Moranchuk. Um but yeah, I think I'll I'll probably do my ode to the to Carol at the moment. No, actually, I was surprised that he didn't make the Poland squad because I think he's been under the radar and, and probably one of Torino's better players this season. There's been a couple of threads on, on Twitter in Italian, but I've re- retweeted them because the, the translation sort of sums up what the uh, the journey he, he's really been on, really. At, at Torino, came in under Giampaolo, was going to be a key player. Giampaolo didn't last very long and he's just rejuvenated himself a number of times and made himself available and I think it's similar to Ricardo Rodriguez in the fact that his attitude's always been spot on. He's never never complains, never sort of come out to um say I wanna leave. He's just sort of knuckled down and hard work and he's he sort of became now quite a vital part of the, the squad because if because of our lack of depth in centre midfield, if if Richie and uh Richie or Lukic aren't available then then he starts and I think he's been really good this season I don't think he's had many poor games at all and deservedly got a goal and, and also a goal very uncharacteristic I don't think he would have uh, envisaged it would have been a, a leaping header that Lanassi was going to be scoring No it was a great goal and um, I think a bit of a shy attack to Singo who's been really good since he I think he yeah He, he probably he, should have had another two assists for Sanabria Yeah um, but I think Singo since he's since he was dropped, has come back really well. And actually a wider point, I think the fullbacks is uh, actually an area we've been pretty strong as the season's gone on. It might not be an area in January we really need to look at, depending um, on... Voivode has been throwing his toys out the pram a little bit over the last few days. With- yeah, it was just... A, just, a, just That's just obviously game to me that he got subbed. Was it after half an hour? I don't think I've yeah. seen... Because of obviously what ended up happening in that game, I don't think I've seen too much about the sort of whether that was just a tactical decision but I mean he wasn't he, he wasn't playing you, very well so Jorich really... basically said he was crap <laughs> Jorich pulled him off said it I think uh, the, I think the quote roughly translation was not there was nothing I liked and um, so obviously yeah Rodriguez gave him a bit of a pep talk and yeah and then this is a very Rob thing to say but uh, there was an Instagram thing yesterday where Voivoda did something about vengeance and uh, uh, the sweetness of vengeance or something and and um it was a picture of him being subbed on against Roma, which was just felt just felt a bit kind of babyish, really. I think there, I think there might be some contract negotiations on at the moment, and I just don't think. I, I think he's he's done okay, and he's been been sort of under a sort of under the radar player, especially last season. But this season, he's lost his place in the team, and and doesn't really look like he wants it back. So, um, yeah, so I mean, and I'm not I'm I'm not sure what. There was no obvious mistake or anything. I've, se- I've certainly seen worst half an hour, probably from Torino fullbacks this season. But it was obviously tactically just wasn't in, in in the right position a lot of time. And I think maybe there was a misplaced pass or a foul throw or something shortly before that. But um, but yeah, I mean, just going going on to Linetti, I, I agree. I think it's probably has been his best run of form in the side. Um, I just think he's not really 
he's never really been suited to the two-man midfield because he's not massively athletic and his game is about breaking spaces and that goal he scored was the kind of feature I'd expected to see of Linetti when we signed him because it was a six or seven goal a season man at Samp um, and if yeah if we can if if we can I expect we'll hopefully bring someone in in central midfield in in the transfer window but yeah if we can get Linetti um, scoring goals and it's um, definitely a big positive but um, before we talk about we haven't, we haven't talked about your friend yet well I um, mean and and his, I'm, I'm going to be, his... I'm going to be very unpopular, I think, because I'm probably going to have the different attitudes to, to the rest of Torino fans, and I do have a vested interest in this because I do still have 50 Andrea Bellotti Torino pin badges, which are now looking impossible to sell, um, because it, obviously there'll the be attitude... lots of, be lots of Monza fans who'll probably want to get them in January when he goes there. Uh... Uh, they'll have to paint a, a Monza badge on it, but um, I, I didn't really have an issue with him taking a penalty um, I, I think it's understandable in that obviously Dybala had got injured uh, taking a penalty against Lecce I think it was it's a week to the World Cup uh, he probably offered to take the penalty just to save Dybala from taking it. Um, it I mean it was a terrible penalty it was um, a Mobile it was a, a carbon copy yeah, of the Mobile one which was quite maybe, funny I mean, I mean Vanya doesn't have a great record of saving penalties, but maybe he just does something to put people off and, and they just drag them wide of the post. But I, the, the thing I, I don't really understand is, okay, Blot is left and you sort of need to, need to respect that. He doesn't play for Torino anymore. People want to move on. Not sure then, you've been respecting that much this season, but, mate. Keep talking then, about him. But then, but then obviously when he plays for another team, obviously he's going to try and score. So I don't, given, given the, given the grief that, Qualiorella got for apologising for scoring a penalty against Napoli. I just don't understand how you can hate Qualiorella for scoring a penalty and apologising, but then also hate Bellotti for wanting to take a penalty. Both those things can't be true. You can't be annoyed that a player who doesn't play for your team anymore wants to score a goal. You can be. We're football football fans. I just think think the logic logic of the the hypocrisy here just doesn't doesn't really suit with me. I just think, think yeah, no, I get your point, and I think you're you're very measured. And but I think the problem is Bellotti crept through the back door without saying anything. He didn't say he was going to leave. There was no great kind of there was no kind of great message to the fans in his last appearance in the Torino shirt. Um, there was a kind of very yeah. There was an Instagram post about one day before the start of the season that. Yeah, was kind of very, very, very long-winded and too late, and then it just feels a bit like yeah, he's just not, he's just kind of ignored his time at Torino a little bit. And I think there was a sensation he came on. Do you think he just? Do you think he just celebrated if he'd scored? Well, that's the point I was going to come on to. I think, I think he came on, and there was a lot of Mancini from Roma. I thought his performance was disgusting, and especially in front of the the referee and how he how he stayed on the pitch, but Belotti just seemed to be coming on and whinging a lot. Like he'd, he'd been coached by Mourinho for a few months. I thought he was hopeless when he came on. His touch was bad. He was on the floor the whole time. Um, I think Torino massively vindicated and not signing him up, up to a long-term contract. I'm not saying that was uh, a master plan from Torino. I think if um, there's, a, there's a risk he would have done, but I think, I think 
I think Torino did well not to tie Belotti down to a two, three million, three-year contract because as I don't think, and I said it at the end of last season, his performances over the last two years haven't been great. Um, and I think as he's stepped up a level in terms of in terms of yeah, Roma a top six team playing in Europe. I just think yeah, there's certain flaws in his game that are being exposed. I mean, he's he's a better player than the Roma fans are letting on. Um, I just was saying the penalty because it would have been an equalising goal. I think he would have got the pulled the ball out the back of the net and and they would have had to get on the he, game. Do you think he would have done the rooster? But yeah, possibly. But I, th- I have a feeling if it'd been two one, he would have gone under the court of a sword. And uh, that, that's that, that's my feeling. And well, I think. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna leave you with just before we end part one. I'm gonna leave yeah. you with the question. Yeah. Who do you dislike more? And who, so you have to have a a beer with one of these yeah. people. Yeah. Bremer or Bellotti. Yeah. I mean, I don't dislike either of them. I just think Bellotti's let himself let his legacy down a lot because he could have done exactly what he'd done, let his contract down, go to Roma, but just one single genuine expression of of love for Torino or or anything. I mean but, but we got more from Bremer. We got more from we got more from Bremer in a way. I think and... we I think we got more from uh Pabega. Uh <laughs> only on loan. Um <laughs> although probably, what, got, what... probably got more from Brecolo because at least he wants to come back. But um, um the... we yeah we're, we're um, I mean, you asked me a question how, how much... I, I I probably would rather go for Bira Bellotti because I just like to ask him these questions. Whereas, whereas I, Bray, I, Bray, yeah. as I suspected on the last pod, I think, when I said that I felt that Rosina may have missed that penalty deliberately, I'm just putting that question out there. Well, well I think we. It wasn't a very good penalty, was it? No. But I think we should get onto the World Cup and a goal from a genuinely Torino striking legend. Hello and uh, welcome back to uh, part two of the Talking Toro podcast. Um, with it being the the World Cup uh, coming up in the in the next few days, we thought we'd have a little bit of a World Cup related um, sort of segue. Uh, so that was um, Niang's uh, goal for Senegal in the last World Cup, the last Torino player to score in the World Cup. Uh, As a man who respected the Torino shirt, uh, yeah, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't miss a penalty for a, for. A... <laughs> For a team after moving, although I think he did um, again mention Instagram again. I think he did uh, wish uh, Juventus luck on Instagram for a derby once. So um, maybe not the most fondly remembered Torino player. But um, my question to you, Peter, before I think you you may fire some questions at me: Will a Torino player score at this World Cup? That's a good question. So who we're looking at? We're looking at Ricardo Rodriguez, Switzerland. I think he's probably off penalties now. Uh, after, after the penalty in which he looked absolutely terrified <laughs> against France yeah. in the Euros. Well, yeah, part one, we didn't really reflect on this, and we may as well talk about it quickly. Ricardo Rodriguez really does not want to be captain of Torino. Oh, oh he, no. He, he, uh, he gave he gave the outcast <laughs> Lukic the ban last week. Oh, probably, was it against uh, Bologna? And uh, was, uh, he came up. Yeah, he came on for Bongiorno, for Bongiorno and he just looked around in panic at like, who can I give the band to? And Coffee Gigi captain for um, 
So it's a strange one. It's just because he's captain of Switzerland very often. But I was going to say on the Voivodo point that actually for the first time in three months, Rodriguez actually acted like a captain because he was the one to sort of sit next to him and say, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about being hooked after 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, very strange. I, I, I think I texted you and said, I'm, I'm going to make a montage of uh, Rodriguez just passing the captain's armband around because literally... He might be looking he... for... Yeah, he might be looking for Belotti, to be fair. But... Well, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And I think it's, it's. I did make a prediction that Scherz would wear the captain's armband before the end of the season. Bear in mind that he doesn't seem to want to wear it. And I think there's a very good chance that that could, that could come true. We did sort of gloss over the fact he uh, picked up an injury against Samp. But um, I think indications are that he won't need to have surgery. So he could be back for the Verona think, game. Yeah, so, I think yeah, probably just... a perfect, perfectly t- If you're going to have an injury, probably the best time and best length. Um to I, have was, one. So, I was just checking to see if um, Niang was in the Senegal squad for, for this look. Don't, I, I don't believe he is. But no. so to answer your question, um, so there's Rodriguez, um, then there's Vlasic and the three Serbians. So Vanya. I'll take a bet that if Serbia have a penalty shootout, um, Vanya takes a pen. Yeah. I think most likely scorer. I may go Radonjic. Um, I just, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm just gonna, gonna go. I'm going for Lukic because I think along with he probably he should. I think he will start for Serbia. So um, I could see Lukic maybe popping up with a goal, but especially if people sort of put their attention on the other Milinkovic Savic and Kostic and Tadic and Vlajevic, Mitrovic. Then maybe Lukic can can pop up with a goal. He's, again, he's not scored too many for. For Toro this season, but thinking given the opportunity, I think he's he's a, he's a decent finisher. Okay, um, so we've got five players going to this World Cup, and to be fair, it we wouldn't have been too surprised if it had been a few more because Linetti was probably the twenty seventh man for Poland. Uh, Dembasek was in and around the Senegal squad, and I think if he'd played a few games more. May have well gone. Uh, Italy obviously not being there. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe had Richie sneak into the squad if they were. Yeah. Um, and there was uh, when I was in. <laughs> I read a copy of Tuto Sport, um, which, which was already a mistake. Um, about a month ago, and they were saying that Skewers was was a shoe in for the Dutch squad, despite never being capped, and they're just classic Tuto Sport, but. Well, um, I, so um, I did, I did when, wonder when he got his injury whether he was in the long list for. for no, he for wasn't. Netherlands, he wasn't but... even in their long list. Um, right. Because so... I also, I also thought of this because I, after his, after his brilliant game against Empoli, I was like, oh, maybe one of the reasons he left Ajax to go to to Torino was to try and sneak his way into the Netherlands squad. And then I think Van Hal released a, a long list of about forty players, and he wasn't in that. So I was like, wow, they. they the Netherlands must have a lot of good centre backs that he's not well, in. Well, like, Sven Botman is eight. not. He's not even in the squad. And yeah. Newcastle signing for thirty, so I suppose 30 Delict, plus million. The Lick so. and Van Dijk are pretty, um, pretty solid choices as first choice. But um, yeah, I think she's still quite young, so maybe, maybe one for the future. All right. Well, if you, um, I will confess, I'm not sure how. Um, accurate my research has been, but I'll throw throw a few things at you. Um, how many Torino players do you think have ever been to the World Cup? Ooh. In history, since so since nineteen thirty. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, 34 was so the not one. not including these five. Uh, you can include these five, yeah. So including these five, I'd say there's been 35 players, at, uh, Torino players at World Cup. Very good, 32. Ooh, right, take that. Take that. Feel free to play play along at home as well. Which World Cup do you think was the one where Torino had the highest representation? So five going this time. Do we've ever had more than five? I think maybe we would have had more than five. Maybe around the Scudetto sort of team. Maybe we'd have had a few in the Italian side. So maybe 78. 78? I think you've almost done your research, haven't you? So yes, quite I, surprised. I, I, actually this... can, I can't. I, obviously, you no way to confirm this, but I've done absolutely no research for this. So I'm actually quite happy with it. Very, I'm very impressed. Well, it's interesting the 78 and 82 teams had this block or Juve, so it was very much Juventus spine, a lot of Juventus players. But 78, we had six in the squad. Wow. Obviously, a lot of, it was almost an entire Turin squad. So there's Pecci, the two Salas, Zaccarelli, Pulici, and Graziani. Um, a few, so, how many Torino players have won the World Cup? So it would have just been players in the, well, 34, 30, I'm guessing only Italians, so 34, 38, wouldn't it maybe in 2006, so 1982, so maybe two players in the 82 squad? So only one in the 82, it was, it was, it was Beppe Dorsena, who was the number 10 in that squad, but was unused in the tournament. Uh, though he did play 30, go on to play 38 times for Italy. So he's our only uh, World Cup World Cup winner. Um, well, we World, Cup, World, World Cup winner who was at the club because Simone Barone also won the World Cup before getting to Torino. Is that on the list? No, so no. <laughs> um, all right, so um, there have been four World Cups where Torino have had no representation. Do you know which ones they were? Oh. Oh, tell a lie. There was 1934, 1938, we didn't. So ignore them. But from 19... Actually, sorry. From 1962 onwards, Torino have had been four World Cups. Been four World Cups seen. where there haven't, hasn't. So 66, Moroni was there. 70, yeah, so... I'd imagine there was. So let's go for... I'll go for recent ones. So I'll go for 2006 and I'll go for 2010. Yeah, two more. Oh, was it four? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, um, Both of them are correct, by the way. 2014? No, 2014. It was Darmian Immobile Churchy oh, wow. and, and Taxidis representing Greece. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't even remember Greece uh, qualifying for that. Uh, we'll get... um, Nor do I. I might so, one more. 94? No, so it's four in a row. 98, 02, 06, wow. and 10, which just shows the decline of of that worst era of Torino, but yeah, nobody. But do you remember 2010? I remember because I bought the shirt. There was high hopes for a Torino player being at the 2010 World Cup when I bought this nation shirt, was only it... for this player to pull out injured the day before the tournament started. Was it Honduras remember... shirt? And was it Julio Cesar Leon? It was indeed. So, yeah, I, 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 um, I, I was a big fan of Leon because he, um, I went to, one of the first games I went to in Italy was uh, Genoa. Bologna, and it was when Leon was at uh, Genoa, and he was probably the star, the star player. So when Torino signed him, I was very excited, but realised that his peak was probably back then, two or three years ago. Long gone. So when Niang, Niang scored in the last World Cup um, against Poland, do you know 
Um, that was the first Torino player to score at a World Cup since, do you know, which I won't put you on the spot with a player, but do you know which edition, perhaps? I think I know the player. Yeah. Was it, Wal- was it Walter Bighouse? Walter, Walter Bighouse. No, I don't believe he did score at a World Cup for oh. Torino, but you're in the right country. Mm. So in, in 1990, the, um, Romario was injured for most of the World Cup and Brazil's attack was led. Um, there was also Bebeto and Correca in the squad, but the guy who was the point of their attack for a lot of their, well, they, they got knocked out against Argentina in the round of 16, I think, but Muller ah. scored twice as a Serie B Torino striker. Could you imagine Brazil going to the World <laughs> Cup <laughs> and then and then central striker being a Torino, playing in Serie B with Torino? It just goes to show how like kind of strong Italian football was at the time, but and also how you know, players were dispersed. Um, there were three foreigners rule and things like that. But yeah, so I, I mean, again, my research, I think is fairly accurate for this period. And I think Liang was the first one since 1990. Um, and then the only other surefire goal scorer as a fan was um, Zaccarelli scored uh, in 78, a winner for Italy versus France. And then there's a few, there's a few other interesting Little little tales. You what? The 1950 World Cup was obviously after Superga. Italy travelled. Um, infamously, well, Italy travelled there by boat because of the Superga air disaster. And I think they lost. They won one match, lost one match. There was a weird group system. So they ended up coming home, and I think they, I believe they flew home. Which yeah, was, yeah. Which was it's, and it took them ages to get there by boat. But I didn't. I you you may know this, but I didn't know this. But Fruccionovo was the um, the coach of the Italian team, having been Torino president. Oh. Um, and um, that's not something I knew, but no, whether he was technically either. coach or... or like or a technical director. Technical director. But no, and then Torino are two players there, including um, Riccardo Carapelleza, who became the captain post-Superga and became the Italy captain. And he scored in both matches in 1950. So, I mean, tragically, yeah, you you could imagine what a Torino presence would have been at the 1950 World Cup um, had Superga had Superga not happened. And and um, just just to sort of another sort of link between sort of Italian national team managers and Torino, we sort of stated that 34, 38, there were no Torino representatives, but the the coach was Vittorio Pozzo, who. Um, had, I think played for Torino and was also the sort of person who was sort of had to uh, go to Superga to sort of identify the bodies as the Italian national team coach uh, up until 1948, I think. So knew a lot of the players so very well. So, I mean, it would have been quite a difficult thing for him to have done. So Torino and the Italian national team may not have sort of contributed to most players, but in terms of sort of stories and, and things that have happened uh throughout the, the years, then there are sort of a lot of sort of Torino links with, with the national team. Absolutely. And if you look at um I'll just pick out a few highlights from a few of the World Cups. So sixty two our representative was uh Giorgio Farini, Torino legend. And uh Did he go to he, did he go in sixty six as well? He didn't, but he won the uh sixty eight European championships. Ah, uh, yeah. but yeah Farini in one of the most famous World Cup matches, the Battle of Santiago, was sent off after seven minutes by Ken Aston, the English referee. He refused to leave the pitch. 
um needed a police escort um uh, there was yeah i think mario david or the other italian player sent but sent off but yeah it just turned into um an absolute farce um so yeah three new 62 and 66 with moroni and roberto rosato and not a great world cup for italy and then in 1970 um Torino were represented in the match of the century when Italy beat West Germany 4-3 when Fabrizio Poletti came on as a substitute in Poletti. I think I might be right in saying was the teammate who was with Moroni when he um was in was was hit or oh, hit was was run over. Um so yeah, not 1970. And then 1974, so Pulici, our greatest ever goal scorer, was in the 74 and 78 squads. But, never really had um a brilliant international career i think 19 caps five goals i think and also, was yeah. graziani in the squad for 82 but had moved to fiorentina at that point yeah graziani was there at 78 as well as a torino player um but yeah the kind of 70s are as 70s was a bit of a kind of golden era for having torino players in the national team and then actually i hadn't realized this between nineteen seventy eight, between nineteen eighty two and Dosena, but forget let's Dosena didn't actually play. So from nineteen seventy eight, the next Italian Torino player to play was Roberto Musi in nineteen ninety four, who played in the World Cup final um, before getting injured in that. But he was he had a very pretty good World Cup uh, Musi from from memory, and then another twenty years before. Italy played England and Darmian definitely played. And I have a feeling Churchy may have come on in that game as well. I think I think Churchy and the Mobile, may, they may have waited for the later games against Costa Rica. Okay. They, they beat England. So I, don't, I don't tend to remember them playing, but again, they very good chance that they did. Um, and then, yeah, just last quiz question for you before maybe talk a little bit about this World Cup. Four Torino players are at last World Cup so we mentioned Niang do you remember the other three? Oh wow one of them I wouldn't have I would have struggled to remember just the timing yeah, um, I'm not even sure if Poland qualifies for the last World Cup and Linetti wouldn't have been there so um, wait, wait wouldn't it be a Torino play at that time Glick, Glick had already left Torino by then Glick well, left so. It. so the last World Cup was Russia 2018 I'll give you I'll give no, you I'll, yeah, give, okay. I'll give you the, I'll give you the countries Argentina Argentina and Saudi yeah, Messi's mate. Don't think he played. Yeah, but um, good friends with Lionel Messi though. Serbia, keeping up our Serbia quota. Oh, uh, Lukic was there as well. No, the Serbian, the Serbian Messi. The Serbian Messi. Oh, Adam Lajic. Adam Lajic. He played against. Brazil. They played with Brazil again. Yeah. I think he played against Brazil. I'm pretty sure he nutmegged somebody as well. Okay, now I'll give you the continent. This last one, might, the country might make it a bit easier. But it was um, African player. Midfielder. Afraya Aqua? No, always injured. Oh, Joel Obi. Joel Obi was there. Yeah, so four. So four last time. Um, I mean, so got... I mean that does really say a lot about uh, a bad Miss Nigeria squad in the 2018 World Cup beat that Joel Obi got a cap. I like Joel Obi. I thought he was... I, mean, um, he... I thought he was quite a cultured player, but he was just, yeah, very rarely fit. And... Um, yeah, maybe maybe it was timed around one of the periods where uh, where he had stayed fit. I, did, I, 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 I didn't go too far as to see how often he played in that world. I Cup. mean, it, but if you look at those players, obviously, Anselmi never played. Nyang wasn't particularly 
uh, well thought of. Obi, I imagine, probably didn't play for Nigeria either. Um, and then then Ljajic probably would have left that summer or the year after. Um, so, I mean, the, you could probably make a call for these two, the, the five Torino sort of representatives being a little bit more likeable. Um, although Vlasic and Rodonjic are on loan, uh, Milinkovic-Savic hasn't really had the best career with Torino. Rodriguez um, is technically our captain, but um, has... Well, so, yeah, and Lukic is... And, and Lukic captains. doesn't want to sign a new contract. And Lukic doesn't want to sign a new contract. So, um, yeah, by the, by sort of 2023, we could have had zero play- We could have zero players who played for the World Cup. Yeah. But I, I think I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely uh, when I can, I'll definitely watch the, the games with the Torino um, sort of contingent. You're going to get Serbia shirt? I mean, I did see a Serbia shirt and classic football shirts, um, which is quite nice. But if anybody from classic football shirts is listening, you're welcome to, uh, to send, us, I, send us one alone. I have a feeling Vanya might be a court hero at this World Cup in the good and the bad. I just think people are going to... Um, I think there'll be a lot of eyeballs because they're playing Brazil as well. And whether he drops a clanger or... Makes an unbelievable could, save. Or save or just... Uh, an assist could be... Uh, I could see an assist yeah. maybe. Um but, he must be one of the tallest players there as well. Um, and I just think, yeah, I, I have I, a feeling that he'll be the most kind of Torino player, perhaps at the highest profile at this It will be interesting. It will be interesting if he if he does start because I don't think he was number one in the qualifying, but as sort of in the friendlies beforehand has sort of taken that shirt. So I think maybe the national team coach likes what Juric likes as well and the fact that he can play up from the back and I suppose in games against sort of Brazil, that might be quite key to sort of yeah. be able to at least start and, and sort of retain possession in that way. Yeah, I think so. everything a red points to him starting, but yeah, I guess there's an there's an argument that he he may well, he may well not play at all. But um, yeah, so the world I guess the World Cup means no Serie A until I think the fourth of January when we play Verona, and then we're coming back to a pretty packed schedule because we've got uh, we'll have Verona um, uh, Salernitana yeah yeah. I'll just make a comment on the four matches to finish the um, the the kind of first half of the season being Verona, Salernitana, Spezia and Fiorentina Um, the fact that we never win in Florence aside on paper they're kind of winnable games and I don't always like it when we've got a run of winnable games together because you know we never win more than two in a row but um, but we could come back hitting the ground running. There's also Milan in the Coppa Italia. So I wonder, and then also we have Empoli and Udinese at the start of the, at the start of the kind of um, return set of fixtures as well. But I'll kind of put it to you where, do you expect Torino to have been active by the 4th of January or active, <laughs> more likely active by the 4th of February? And where, where do we see, I, mean, I see Borussia wants to leave, so maybe a change in in uh, backup goalkeeper. But where would you where do you think there might be changes? Where would you like to see? Changes? I think I think personally, in terms of backup goalkeeper, I, I, I think Jamelo should just be given that opportunity as as backup. He's only played one game for us. He's a little bit too old to go out on loan. Um, didn't put a foot wrong against Fiorentina, so I don't see why he wouldn't he wouldn't have a little bit of confidence to him be to be in number two. Um, I don't see us buying anybody by the fourth of January because this is Torino. They'll wait until sort of twenty fourth of January and see who's available on loan. Um, 
I think defensively, I would say we're given providing that everybody's fit. I think Zima's now coming back into um the side. Uh Scherz will hopefully have recovered from his injury. Gigi again just consistent. Rodriguez Mongiorno, I think they're happy with all of those. Fullbacks. If there is talk about Voivoda not being happy and not wanting to sign in the contracts, then he would be the, the wing back I would get rid of. Um also I think it's probably worth if anybody from the Premier League is interested in Olorina and wants him six months early, his contract expires. So that could also be a possibility where where the Ina leaves and we try and get replacement there. But I think if we can try and tie down Lazaro on a permanent Singo, also Singo to Barcelona. Singo to really Barcelona, so. which again I wouldn't be surprised if they happened, but the, I think I think Barcelona will try and do what they did with Frank Kessier and maybe just wait and sign him on a on a pre contract. So I think his contract expires in twenty twenty four, but I think they might just wait until that happens. To be honest, I don't think they're in any financial position to so make getting money out of Barcelona is not yeah it's not yeah a, it's like getting money out of uh, Cairo. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, I think the areas which I would be looking to improve would be a centre midfielder to give a little bit and I'd probably try and loan Ilkan out. I'd actually, if we can, loan him to a Serie B side because I don't think there's much uh, logic in sort of loaning him maybe back to Turkey. Maybe that's probably what we should have done at the start of the season anyway, but I think actually giving him a bit more sort of exposure to Italian football and the culture and um, more opportunity to learn the language. So if we can get him uh, a loan deal in in the second division, then I think that's a, a good shout. And then maybe another centre midfielder, maybe somebody a bit a bit more physical uh, in the Pabega mould. Um, and Yurich does like a Doppo, but I think that is literally just for his physicality. So I think if we were able to get sort of a a decent centre midfielder in, then you'd have Lukic, Ritchie, Linetti, and a new centre midfielder. Um, Happy with our sort of trade quartistas. Uh, I think they can blow hot and cold, but I think Vlasic always starts and then one more of of the others. Um and then yeah, we obviously need a striker. I think that's the main that's the main thing. If we if we if we reach sort of February the fourth without adding a striker, then I think everyone can be a bit disappointed. Artem Dovbic, I I would not be my choice. I, I think he was linked in the summer, but just a few too many question marks about him. I would. I no one's you, been linked there, have they? Really, no, no. one's even in this. In this, I, this, I mean, it's been pretty quiet anyway. It's not like, but even last summer there weren't too many strikers linked. So you know, you know who you know who I like, and he doesn't start through Danese. So I'd uh, I'd put a bet on Beto. Yeah, um, I was going to throw a few names at you, and it's not. I'd, I'd, I'll put a few scenarios and just go yes or no. Do you think Ricardo Rodriguez? I, I think he might leave in January, and I don't oh. know if the whole captain thing is is perhaps related to that. And I wonder if I wonder if he might leave after the World Cup. It's just the kind of sensation I have. Uh, um, I'd say I'd say no. I think if he was going to leave, I think he'd leave at the end of the season. Um... Juric still quite likes him. He's getting it. He's getting on a bit. My worry for Rodriguez is that I don't. I think I've things that I've heard is that Switzerland play four at the back, and he's going. Yeah, he's going to be going back to. He's going to go back to yeah. being a very, very um, anybody deep line who left back. So yeah. so anybody who um yeah any right any any 
players at the World Cup who will be playing right midfield um, who are listening to this podcast that they can have a great time because I, I just I just don't think Rodriguez can play left back anymore, and I don't think I don't think anybody watching the World Cup with him at left back would really want to sign him. He might prove me wrong, but I just don't think he has the the aestheticism for that anymore. All right, there's a few yes or no on on these potential signings. So Dennis Pryor, is he coming back or not? Didn't make I'm, the World Cup squad with Belgium. Yeah, anyway. I'm gonna. Say, I will say no, um, because I think he probably as annoyed at Leicester for and Brendan Rodgers for sort of not playing him and not allowing him to get into the um, World Cup squad. He's probably as annoyed at Torino for not sort of making that effort to sign him too. Um, I think Le- his motivation is probably going to be a little bit da- like doesn't need need to move now. He's going to get more money at Leicester. Um, he does. He came on, I think, against West Ham when Madison got injured. So I think he will probably just stay at Leicester until I think does his contract end at the end of the season? I think maybe maybe he'll just wait. Yeah, he's he's a bit of a backup for Madison there, and he's he's had a few good games and, for Leicester. Yeah, he, and I, I think also he, think he was man of the match in one of their games. So yeah, I also think Madison might leave as well, depending on on the World Cup. So yeah, and I, I just I think Maranchuk and Pryor, I just they're quite similar in their role for Torino. And I think Marantic see... probably Marantic maybe more of a goal threat. I mean Pratt has sort of changed changed his role as he's got older, but I mean he was sort of a, a trade quite easy. then he moved a bit deeper. He can play as like a, a centre midfielder and he didn't really do that for Torino, but he, he was able to do that for Samp and, and when he first sort of signed for Leicester. Um I think unless it was a really good deal, I just don't I don't see why Leicester would sell him for less than he's worth because I think the only reason that could have happened was sort of to try and get him into the World Cup squad. Now that's gone. I just don't see that happening. Okay. Which, is, which is a shame because I think he, I think he's a good player. I wouldn't turn him down. I'd like I, if he signed. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against it. But I, I wouldn't say he's a priority. I, no, he, he's not a priority. Priority. Oh dear, you do need you need an international break, mate. <laughs> um, another one who's going to get a break is Josip Brekolo. Is he coming back? Uh, he'll be going to Monza. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be going to Monza. Um, no, yeah, my, my argument is is that prior I can see Juric really likes him, but I see less of a need for him. I'm not saying there's a great need for Josip Brekolo, but I do think that it, has Radonjic really, should we have another kind of option to, to Radonjic as well as a bit of a kind of I think, maverick I think the, in there? I think it's the price thing. I think um, Radonjic obviously is on loan, but I think everybody expects that to be made permanent. His agents have come out and sort of talked quite fondly with Torino. I think our, our um, deal with Marseille's 2 million euros. I mean, even Torino can afford that. Um, Brekelo Wolfsburg is still going to want quite a hefty fee. Um, I think maybe he'll go on loan to somebody where people are a bit more convinced that he might, they might sort of redeem it at the end of that loan. I don't, I, don't, um, I don't think Wolfsburg would loan him again, knowing that we'll just try and get a discount on the fee again. Uh, Tommaso, Harry Potter, Babega. Oh, well, well, I would I would take him back um, very, very quickly. Okay. You think because, because, I think, because the, the, what I like about Babega is that he can play both roles. He can play as a centre midfielder. He can play sort of a little bit further forward as well. I think if we were going to look for a... Um, so, so in that sense, whilst he was would sort of primarily be sort of third choice centre midfielder, he also got an opportunity in certain games to to play further forward as well. So I think he'd he'd get enough time to to make him sort of fancy the move as well. All right, and last one, Tony Sanabria. 
could we see him leaving? I mean, I don't think a lot of teams would um, would be after. Like a Spanish, a Spanish team, or um... Um, I would see. The problem is, I, I don't see him leaving because then that would require us to buy two strikers. Um, I I do you're, quite you're, you're not, not necessarily. We might be played a whole second half season with Pietro Pellegrini so, and Jan Caramar as our forward I, option. I, I mean, I do I do quite like I do like quite like Sanabria. His problem is confidence. He's he is devoid of confidence. He needs, and maybe this uh, international break is going to be good for him. It's sort of a secondary preseason. He can sort of score. Maybe I know we've got friendlies against Lille and via the lead lined up maybe we have a friendly against a sort of spanish eighth division team that he can score seven goals against and get his confidence back up because i think actually on his day he's never really been a prolific goal scorer but he's been an effective striker and he had a very good season last season under the radar kept Belotti out the team or well mate well Belotti was injured but i think we both agreed that we look better with sanabria in the team i wouldn't i wouldn't give up on him just yet i think we definitely need another striker but i i I think if he's confident and he gets his form back, then he is the sort of striker you can see sort of maybe 15, 20 minutes to go. I think he, he could sort of, he can still add, add something to us. But it, yeah, a starting striker is what we need. And unfortunately, that's going to either be alone and then it's going to be somebody who is sort of just not wanted elsewhere. Or it's um, going to be Andrea Patanga. Oh, oh no, he would. No, yeah, that would be. That would also be a no. Any any footballer who is in worse shape than me um, is is a no, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think we can conclude that Torino will probably start the Verona game with the same squad they have now. I'm not expecting. Um, and and I, I'm I mean, the window will probably open. I don't know exactly when the window opens anyway for a player to be available, but I'm guessing it's the first of January. And you would, um, and you wouldn't really imagine again, not, not to sort of downplay uh, Croatia and um, Serbia's chances, but I, you don't really envisage them getting to the, the later stages of the tournament. Maybe to get to the sort of quarterfinals would be a good result for them. So you're still going to have a, a good sort of three, four week rest for Yvlasic and Radonjic's. Whether they then go and join up with the squad back in in Spain, I assume I assume they will. So. It is going to be like a second pre-season for them. I think that what will probably be more difficult will be for the uh, Serie A sides who have got players in the sort of later stages of the tournament who maybe don't finish until sort of 18th of December. Yeah. Um, the, the, reality, and... the reality is, though, that you know, whoever that is is not going to have... It's not going to be that. Once you get to a semi-final, and most teams, even the very biggest clubs, might have, what, three or four players involved. Yeah. So no, it's that's not... true. Um, this is going to close with... Someone made a very bold prediction at the start of the season that Vanyati, Cairo and Juric wouldn't be at Torino. Um, I think at the, let's say, the start of next season. Um, it was me. And I just had a feeling that Cairo, one of the things about Cairo as well is both his parents have passed away. And I think I always felt one of the great pulls for him being Torino president was because his parents were Torino supporters. So I've never been 100% convinced that Cairo has always been a Torino supporter. Um, that made me think whether, and the, the kind of, some of the issues Cairo's had um, with his business interests as well, just had me thinking in that, that direction a little bit without yeah, ever there being a kind of seemingly transparent or convincing offer to, to buy the club. But and I also thought Juric being so tempestuous that, yeah, would we get, 
would he be there for the start of the third season? And and Van Yatti as well, that, that relationship. But today, Van Yatti signed a contract until 2025. So probably the person who in August looked most at risk um, is going to be there for a while. So I wonder, yeah, what sort of job, I guess, do you think Van Yatti has done? And do you think this is a good sign that will be um, a bit of stability? I was surprised by the news because, again, I don't think there are. I think I texted you and said there's not many industries where you can sort of insult your boss and then get effectively uh, a well, a, maybe not a pay rise, but get a, a contract extension at least. So and have um, a punch up with another that, employee. Yeah, that another, is surprising. another high profile, the most high profile yeah, employee that, of the company. That so, might yeah. that might not happen in my uh, in my business, but or my office job. But um, and I'm not not going to try it either. But I. I don't. I think he was doing sort of an average job. I don't think a lot of the sort of under the under the radar pick players that he's gone for haven't paid off. So if you look at your sort of your Ilkans, your Bayes, um, Sec to an extent as well, the sort of low cost sort of unknowns which Petraki did so well on, he hasn't done well. The players who who've come in and done well, I mean, you 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 don't need to be a sporting director at Torino to know that Valentin Lanzaro is a good player or that uh, Nikola Vlasic is a good player or that like these are players who are quite high profiled and are only at Torino because they're on loan and they just don't fit in at other clubs. They're not sort of purchasing. Obviously, we've had to get the deal done and we've, and we've managed to do that, but um, I wouldn't say they're sort of under the radar, hidden gems for low cost like like Petraki was picking up with sort of Singo and Bremer um, and Lienko. Um but I um But then Val Fias, who we were quite close to, has done very well at Leicester, which means there was and Scurs has been a quite yeah, good sign. No, that's that's and a I fair think, point. And I don't think yeah, has the is the Vanya Gamble starting to pay off? Um so yeah, maybe it's something we we'll we'll talk a little bit more about because we're running out of time. But yeah, I just wondered whether yeah, there's a there's I've, a, I've got I a wonder, question got a question for you just before before we end and it might be might be the last pod for a while, so one for you to ponder on. Um, say Cairo did under the radar was trying to sell the club, and it comes out of nowhere, and he sold the club to a consortium or billionaire, whoever it is, who is sort of shows an expression to invest a lot of money into the club. Does Cairo go down as a Toro hero or a Toro villain? I think Cairo. Uh, uh, it's certainly not a hero, um, because I, I mean I think go back and listen to our pod on it, and I think he, the way he inherited the club, it was on a plate for him. I think it would just be looked back at as a period of underachievement, stability, um, and as I said probably not too many memories. So, but villain, I mean, villains have been other presidents who've done significant damage to Torino so I don't think you're happy for him to be in Torino purgatory I think he's just somewhere in between and there's still I think there's still time for him to change his legacy in the positive Um, if he sold it it on to a billionaire who then took Torino to the next level well that becomes part of his his legacy as well so no I I agree I think I think it's probably I think that's maybe the next stage in something that, that he might need to do because I just don't see us having the investment with him still in charge but 
if you're working hard behind the scenes and there's somebody probably not the best market to sell a football club in but I think if they sold them to the right uh, buyers right owners then who are able to take us to the next level then that would that would definitely change his legacy for the positive well I think there's no time but to wish anyone everyone a, a great World Cup whoever the nation is um, and yeah we we may put a poll out if you're interested in in some pods during the World Cup, maybe in some random ra- random kind of Torino um, stories and tales or chat, and we may get a few more interviews with with, with fans booked in, especially for early 2023. But I think not much more to say than Forza Toro. Forza Toro. <laughs>